2024, an election year like no other. From the candidates to the issues, from voter integrity and analysis, we'll discuss debates, trends, patterns, election laws, and more. This is Vote 2024, Path to the Polls. Age is becoming more of a factor in the race for the White House. We've got the special counsel's scathing report on Joe Biden and his handling of classified documents, painting a picture of a forgetful commander-in-chief, and Joe Biden firing back, how the hell dare he? But did the special prosecutor overstep his bounds? We've got Donald Trump's extremism on full display, and is Nikki Haley getting deep under his skin? A new attack suggests maybe so. Welcome to Vote 2024, Path to the Polls. Joining me for a candid and what promises to be a free-spirited and lively conversation, News for Jack's political analyst and JU's head of Public Policies Institute, Rick Mullaney. Rick, thanks for being here. Great to be with you, Bruce. So let's start with ageism and Joe Biden. The special counsel's report on his handling of classified documents. No charges were brought. Robert Hur instead invoked an aging president's failing memory, painting a picture of a forgetful commander-in-chief. Age is becoming a big issue in this presidential campaign for both Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Big issue. Bruce, it's become a really big issue. And to put this in a little bit of perspective, remember this. When Joe Biden was, took office, he was the oldest president in the history of the country at age 78. The person who was the oldest before then was Donald Trump. He was 70 when he became president in 2017. And the oldest before that was nearly four decades earlier with Ronald Reagan when he was 69 years old when he became president back in 1981. But what you have right now is a concern for the public, for both Joe Biden and for Donald Trump also. And it's not just a question of age. It's not just a number. It's a question of mental sharpness, mental ability. Is that, is that, mentalness, is that mental sharpness in decline? But also vigor, physical vigor, for what is truly the hardest job in the world. If you look at the polling, it is a challenge for Joe Biden. Over 76%, one poll over 80% of the people believe he's too old to serve as president. For Donald Trump, it's over 60%. So what we really have are the two oldest candidates in the history of the United States of America running for president. The winner will be the oldest president to take office in the history of the country. And if either were to f fulfill their term, they would be the oldest president ever to finish in the office. It is becoming a great concern. And we can certainly talk about why. The domestic issues, the foreign policy issues, the challenges. The presidency of the United States is one of the most demanding jobs in the world. And there's a concern that neither of these men, and this is Nikki Haley's argument, that neither of these men at their age is up to that task. And there's a lot of voter apathy because they don't believe that either of these men is up to the task. And a lot of people say, we do not want a Trump-Biden matchup again, and we're not going to vote as a result. Bruce, the polling supports exactly what you're talking about. This is not the matchup that the American people want. Uh, they are a, a rematch of Donald Trump versus Joe Biden is not the preferred matchup. It appears it's the matchup we're going to get, um, but those are very, very big concerns for the American people. Is this going to light a fire under Joe Biden on the campaign trail? I mean, his response to the special prosecutor's report was, how the hell dare he? Well, Bruce, it certainly lit a fire under him for the press conference last week, and he came out a very emotional president, a very strong president, a kind of angry president. I don't know how well that press conference served him because there are also some mistakes. It's also lit a fire, Bruce, under his donors, under his campaign staff, uh, under those people with his team, with the campaign. But the question is, with that fire being lit, what do you do? Now, one of the things they've done is they've attacked the report, the special counsel's report. That's one, one piece of the strategy. But the other piece is more problematic. 
How do you address the concern of the American people that it's not just Joe Biden's age, that his mental sharpness is in decline, that he doesn't have the physical vigor? How do you address that? Well, one way to do that is to maybe make him more accessible, have him out with the people. Well, we just saw over the week, the past weekend, he did not do an interview with, for the Super Bowl, which is generally speaking a broad exposure and a fairly easy interview. He hasn't been doing as many personal interviews as others, hasn't been doing press conferences. But I think in the end, they're going to have to get Joe Biden out more. Democrats argue that in private, he's very sharp. The problem is, is that in public, there are these mistakes and there's this concern that the public has. So though it lit a fire, there hasn't been a good answer for how Joe Biden is going to address this concern. And there are a lot of people who say that his people don't want him to do those interviews because they're afraid of what he might say, what he might forget, what he might not say. Let's talk about the forgetful. Let's just talk about that for a second. Sure, you make sure. a really good point. A perfect illustration is last week when he did the press conference. They, were, they wanted him to go out to refute the report, but then he made the mistake of confusing the president of Mexico with Egypt, and it dominated the discussion. Even though there were many parts of that press conference in which he did reasonably well, the talk, the headline was the mistakes that he made. And Bruce, your point is a really good one. That's what people are concerned about. All right, so well, let me talk about forgetful memories a little bit. Um, he forgot the date that his son Bo died. Trump mixes up people's names all the time. Uh, I, I read an interview with a neurologist who basically said, look, you know, I, I've got friends who are 39 years old and, and they forget things as well. So maybe he needs to take a cognitive test, which by the way, he did a physical but refused to take a cognitive test. Yes, I, I, I think all of us know, know the experience of people who make mistakes. Before our discussion is over, I'll make one. I mean, we always do. You, yeah. you, you, you misspeak. I don't think people are as concerned about every now and then getting a name confused or every now and then not remembering somebody's name. It's a pattern that they've seen. For Joe Biden, it's a, lot, a lot of it is physical, how he walks how he conducts himself, the appearance of lack of vigor, how he pauses, how he doesn't appear to remember, how he makes mistake. And remember this, just before the, the press conference, he had confused two former leaders in Europe who had passed away and talked about how he had met with them. And so there is a concern, not just about gaffes, uh, not just about a little bit of confusion. Donald Trump confused Nancy Pelosi with Nikki Haley. You're going to have those mistakes. But, but they give Donald Trump a pass. Well, he does appear in the eyes of many to be more physically vigorous. He does appear to be, a, and I think that they see that energy. The question is, do you have the energy? This isn't to defend Donald Trump, and this isn't to defend his age, yeah. but I do think that there is this concern with Joe Biden that is going to have to be addressed somehow, and it is a great concern among many. Well, let's talk about the way the prosecutor, uh, Mr. Hur, couched all of this when he presented the report, and he talked about Joe Biden's failing memory. Did he overstep his bounds in doing that? You know, Bruce, um, certainly Democrats think so, and that has been the argument. Uh, but I was, a, I was a prosecutor for a decade, a state court prosecutor, not a federal court prosecutor, and I would break down what he did into three parts. First, he had to do an investigation to determine whether there was probable cause that a crime was committed. Was there a prima facie case that a crime was committed? And I think if you take a look at the report, he kind of concluded there was. He found that there was a willful retention of classified documents. There had been a willful sharing of those classified documents, many of them highly sensitive in nature. I think there's a view of some that just because there's probable cause or it appears that the statute has been violated that you charge. But that's not the case for a prosecutor. There is a second phase. And the second phase is, you asked this question, Ed Austin trained us on this, of course, the standard. Is there a reasonable probability of conviction? And I think that the special counsel here went at great pains to say he didn't believe there was a reasonable probability of conviction. And part of the reason was the memory issue. 
as he portrayed Joe Biden, he was a sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a memory problem. Now, he may be letting him off the hook legally, but it's, it's explosive politically because he was confirming in the eyes of many this poor memory issue. And he tried to support his claim of poor memory by pointing to the things you're talking about. That has certainly made him vulnerable to attack from the left. So, but there is also a third phase I would mention for a prosecutor that is really not widely recognized beyond pro whether there's probable cause and beyond whether there's a reasonable probability of conviction. Even if you have those two, there's a third of is it justice? The prosecutor's job is not to charge, although he charges as part of his job. His job is to do justice. And here, Joe Biden's cooperation with the investigation, his turning over of all the documents, his agreeing to interviews stood in sharp contrast to Donald Trump and the special counsel who did not have to draw a contrast did. And he articulated how Donald Trump's case was really worse, that in his case he was non-responsive to the subpoena, that he's been charged actually with obstruction and destroying of evidence. And so therefore, the two cases aren't the same, but I think Joe Biden's cooperation served him well. And I do think that special counsel used the memory as a way of not charging. And I think the special counsel in the end did not want to cho a charge Joe Biden. And now he's been criticized from the right and the left. Oh, there's no win. So the, the context is important here. And that answers the question, you know, that people are asking, okay, so what's the difference between Trump and Mar-a-Lago and Joe Biden in this particular case? Uh, and there are those who say that he, he is a partisan Republican investigator with an axe to grind, and too much is being made of the classified documents issue, especially with, you know, Donald Trump and Mar-a-Lago. Well, you know, um, I, I, this, this notion of a, a partisan investigator, let me say he was appointed by Merrick Garland, his track record is such that he's not been viewed as partisan. Uh, he was a former U.S. attorney from Maryland appointed by Donald Trump. He worked for Rod Rosenstein in the Mueller investigation. And here, he truly was in a no-win situation. If he indicts, he'd have been very criticized from the left. If he hadn't indicted, he'd be criticized uh, from the right. Here, he chose not to indict, and he gave an explanation, by the way, as he's required to do under the special counsel report. And he has managed to find the sweet spot where he is getting criticized from the right and the left. It was a very difficult job for him to do. In the end, bottom line, he cleared Joe Biden legally, but it's a firestorm politically. And the broader issue is that Donald Trump has, what is it, 91 criminal charges uh, against him. And when you look at the big picture, you know, you've got to take that into account. And there are other concerns in this run for the White House here, what appears to be Trump's extremism. He appeared just this week to side with Russian President Vladimir Putin over NATO allies. And here's exactly what he said. I encourage Russia to do whatever the hell they want to NATO allies that didn't meet with the alliance's military spending guidelines. Is that dangerous or is what Marco Rubio suggests, he's not a member of Council on Foreign Relations and doesn't talk like a traditional politician. I mean, can you really just dismiss it like that? I don't think you can just dismiss it like that. And President Trump's comments uh, that those NATO countries that wouldn't be poning up financially, that he would not defend them if attacked by Russia, and in fact he would encourage Russia to do it, is viewed by many on the left as reckless by some on the right as a negotiating posture in the way he is. And quite frankly, unfortunately, it may be both. For President Trump, he may view this as sort of his provocative way of getting more money out of NATO countries. Beware, they're going to come and we're not going to defend you. Beware, we'll encourage it. But it's a very high price to try to get a contribution in that way, particularly if it destabilizes the relationship with NATO, particularly if it encourages Putin. In the end, Nick, this is what Nikki Haley might call the kind of chaos that we've seen in the past and the kind of chaos you might see in the future 
When you have President Trump speaking on foreign policy in this way, it certainly got the attention here, but it also got attention overseas. And does it kind of fuel speculation about his rather bizarre relationship with a man who's a, a war criminal? You know, Bruce, I don't think this was as much about Putin as it was about NATO. And Donald Trump, during his presidency, to his credit, did get increased contributions from NATO. But I also think he wants increased contributions from NATO as part of the solution in Ukraine. Uh, Donald Trump is a little bit more from that isolationist wing of the Republican Party. He says he'll end the Ukraine war in 24 hours. I don't think that's true. Um, and what he would like to do is to see NATO step up. And this is one of his ways of posturing. But as I said... It gets potentially destabilizing in the relationship, potentially encouraging Putin, a high price to pay for an increased contribution. So in the eyes of many, ill-advised. It's also interesting to see that he's standing in the way of Congress doing its business. I mean, you know, the Senate just passed this bill. Uh, we're, we're doing this show right now. It's Tuesday. You may watch it on demand. So I'm saying that for a point of reference to you. Uh, the House says it's going to be dead on arrival because there's nothing with immigration. But House Speaker Mike Johnson went ahead and he quashed an immigration bill that was passed by the Senate. But Congress is doing its bidding, but Trump is standing in the way of things because he wants to use it as campaign fodder uh, against Joe Biden. I find that, that that's awfully interesting, too. Bruce is particularly of concern, I think, on the border issue. Now it's getting to be of concern on Ukraine. On the border issue, what you really saw was a bipartisan package coming out of the Senate that did represent a significant step forward, although it did not represent everything that many Republicans wanted. The bottom line reason in the eyes of many that it did not get passed in the House was because of the objection of, of former President Donald Trump. Uh, and so that is a, on the immigration issue. And that will be a talking point, certainly a piece of the argument for Democrats when it comes to the border issue, which, by the way, in New Hampshire and in Iowa, we saw was the number one issue on people's minds. The other is now the support for Ukraine. And the loud voices are moving more away, but the majority is concerned about Putin and his aggression and the territory that he's taken over in Ukraine and what it means next if he were to invade a NATO country in which under Article 5 we have an obligation to defend. And so I do think the majorities in Congress favor that support for both Ukraine and Israel. And Donald Trump, of course, is in a little bit of a different place. But we're going to, as, as, you, as you said, it's going to be very challenging and very difficult as we watch this play out. Look, but any real politician, and I'm talking about the Bob Doles and John McCain's of the world, know that you don't always get everything you know that, that you want. You have to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. Bruce, I think that's particularly true on the border issue. Uh, there were a number of issues on the border issue relating to catch and release, relating to the, 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 uh, the, the changes in the standard for amnesty, for example. A number of areas of moving forward. It represented a compromise. It certainly didn't go all the way, but it is the furthest it has ever come. In the eyes of the Wall Street Journal, one of the challenges is, is that it will fail now because of politics. And if President Trump were to win, most likely it would fail on the left because of politics next year. So this was a window to get it passed. That did not happen. We still have a crisis on the border. We definitely have a, we have a crisis on the border. We have more, may have more of a, an international crisis, too, as a result. Um, back on the campaign trail headed to South Carolina, Trump turned his attention to his GOP opponent, Nikki Haley. He asked the crowd, where's Haley's husband? And he said, oh, oh, he's away, he's away. Then he quipped in a mocking tone, he knew, he knew. He, he knew what is, is anybody's guess. Uh, basically, he's away on deployment. Trump has a long history of ridiculing veterans. What does he have to gain by that? Bruce, I'm, I'm not sure what he thought he was going to gain by this. It was for, sort of a, a startling comment. I don't know what he hoped to gain. 
the notion that you would criticize someone, he's in the National Guard, her husband's in the National Guard, he's deployed overseas, he's serving his country overseas. The fact that you would criticize her for that, it was a personal attack, he's not going from policy attacks to personal attacks, is sort of stunning. I'll say this on a personal note, um, after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, my father joined the Navy, he dropped out of high school, he served during World War II, Vietnam, Korea, and when I, from the time I was 11, 6 to 11, my father was, wasn't home for Christmas. He was deployed, he was in the Mediterranean. Um, are you going to criticize my mother because my father is away? Are you going to criticize my father because he's away? Instead, let me reset on this. For our veterans, for our military, it's a great sacrifice for the wives and families when their loved ones serve overseas. And they should be congratulated and honored for that service rather than criticized. This was a misstep, in my opinion. I don't know what point he was trying to make, but I think it misses the mark. And I think it certainly is offensive to many veterans and military people who serve overseas and the sacrifices that their families make. And then you can't make this stuff up. He accused Nancy Pelosi of the January 6th insurrection? Well, there's, there's a lot of different pieces to that whole discussion. And, and, and so a lot of times in his defenders, Donald Trump is provocative. So then Haley told Trump, listen, if you have something to say, then let's debate. Trump said, okay, let's, let's debate. That ain't going to happen. And Trump also said to Joe Biden, let's debate. That's not going to happen either. Are we ever going to see any more debates? The odds favor that we won't. Uh, despite Nikki Haley's throwing down the gauntlet and saying, let's debate, I think the odds of a Haley-Trump debate appear to be pretty close to non-existent. There's not going to be a debate on the Democratic side in that primary, of course, as Joe Biden gets that nomination. And then the, question, the big question is, will there be a debate between Biden and Donald Trump? The odds suggest no. If you're on the Biden side in particular, it's a simple calculation. Hard to assess, but it's a straightforward calculation. You're going to take criticism for not debating. If you debate, there's great risks. Which of those two choices do you think furthers your chance of winning the campaign? And I think there's a great chance that they will land on the no debate option. And so for 2024, we may very well have seen our last televised debate. And isn't that sad because the American public, the voting public, doesn't really have a chance to hear what the candidates have to say, hear what they really have and where they stand on the issues. Well, I am certainly a believer in that. I, 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 there should be a public policy discussion. It should be a robust discussion. You should be able to stand on the stage. You should be able to ask these questions. I'm pretty disappointed in how these debates are conducted. I wish that they would control the microphone. I wish they would get away from l allowing them to bicker back and forth and interrupt each other. Instead, um, a policy debate, a discussion in which the American people gets to hear from both candidates, their differences on policies, their differences on approach. They can see their personalities and make an informed choice. We're not going to get that. And you know what? It, it doesn't seem like it's that difficult to do. You have somebody that literally turns the microphone off. Um, I have always been disappointed, and I saw this, you saw this in the five Republican debates in the primary, that oftentimes it, it would become a food fight, and it was hard to watch. And the moderators would try to control it, but they do have a tool at their disposal, and that is to turn off the microphone, and they're reluctant to do that. If you did it a few times... And if and you didn't let people speak over time, you didn't let them interrupt, you could have a much more constructive debate. I would love to see all these candidates running for office, particularly for the president of the United States, stand up on the stage and answer questions directly, constructive questions in front of the American people as part of informing the public before they cast their vote. Let me, let me do something here. Here's my phone. Uh, I, I actually got an email from somebody who watches this show. Let me go into my inbox here. And uh, he, he sent a question that I'm sure... It's from Philip. 
And he says, Bruce, what do we do if we don't want either candidate? So far, Nikki Haley is the only third person. I'm assuming he wants Nikki Haley, but that's neither here, here nor there. What about the Dems? Do their polls tell them their base is united under Mr. Biden? The answer to that is no. I can't believe this. I'm an independent leaning slightly left, but I'm registered Democratic, so I can vote in the primary. And there's no other choice. A write-in will go nowhere unless 500,000 people write in the same person. Why don't the Dems have an alternate why don't the Republicans have an alternate? History shows that a third-party candidate doesn't have a snowball's chance in, in Hades in, in winning. What, what's the answer for people who are looking for an alternative? And I, I go back to our discussion at, at the beginning of our, uh, you know, our, our show here where there really is no alternative to a Trump-Biden matchup. Um, well, let me break those down for pieces to answer part of his question. How about Republicans with somebody else? Let's have the reality check. The reality check is that we're in the midst of a primary. In the primary season, we're going to go to South Carolina, we're going to have Super Tuesday, and Donald Trump controls his destiny, and he is going to be the Republican nominee. It looks that way. I mean, a major upset for Nikki Haley if she were to pull it off. It appears highly likely, unlikely. He's on track. For Joe Biden, as much concern as some Democrats may have, in the end, it's up to Joe Biden. He is the only one on the ballot. There's no one who's going, to, who's going to replace him for those delegates. Remember, when Lyndon Johnson decided not to seek the nomination in 1968, it was March. This is just February. And is it possible over the next several months that Joe Biden could change, have, have a change of heart? Maybe. But in the end, that is completely up to Joe Biden. So the most likely matchup is Trump versus Biden. And that sets up a possibility with the no labels and other candidacies of the possibility of a third party run by someone. Now, that is a long shot effort. If ever in the course of the history of this country, a third party would probably be well received. It might be this year in particular. There's that level of dissatisfaction with these two candidates. But in the end, it's a very much an uphill battle. And so I suspect that some are going to say, wait and see. Are there third-party candidates? Is there someone else viable? But at the end of the day, it's most likely going to be kind of that binary choice between Trump and Biden. And I suspect many people will be writing in somebody else. But a viable third-party candidate, highly unlikely. But that certainly is the topic of much discussion. Not going to be Joe Manchin. JFK would... I don't know what he'd say about his nephew. Any ideas? I think it's wait and see. There are some others out there that are being talked about. No Labels has certainly been around for more than a decade. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a group that's trying to put together this sort of bipartisan coalition and have a Republican and Democrat on the ticket, a third-party run. Uh, most know that this is, like I said, a long shot. Uh, but it is something that many of the American people want. I think on the Biden side in particular, the Biden campaign is very concerned about that because they believe a third-party run would hurt Joe Biden in particular. Um, there's also the issue, and we could have a long conversation about what if they get some electoral votes but not enough, so no one gets 270 and it throws it into the House of Representatives, and we have a whole discussion of what would happen in the House of Representatives if they were to elect the next president, if no one could get to that magic majority of 270 electoral votes. There's some other realities here. The black voting block basically put Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in the White House back in 2020. Um, if you look at the past two presidential election cycles, if my memory serves me, the votes were very close. Certainly in 2020, it was within 100,000 votes. Oh, yes. If the black vote turns out, they can decide this election. The two other variables here are the Latino vote and the Asian American vote has been growing considerably in this country. Um, 
those three blocks could sway this election. They can make a huge difference in the outcome. And also, let me tell you, the other concern for the Biden campaign is the youth vote. And their concern is not that they're going to get the majority of African-Americans. They'll get a strong majority of African-Americans. They'll get a strong majority of the youth vote. They'll get a strong majority of what you just talked about. But will it be as big a majority as they've had in the past? Or will they stay home? Will there be a concern over such issues like climate change that he's not going far enough? Or will there be concerned about what's happening with Israel uh, and Hamas? And so certainly one of the strategies for the Democratic side of this is to energize their base, to energize their voters. And it's always pretty straightforward. It comes, to, comes out to turnout, and you have to turn out your voters. But to talk about how close it was, Bruce, although there was over 150 million votes cast in 2020, and although Joe Biden had a good, num good margin on the electoral vote, when you take a look at three states, it really comes to about 40,000 vote difference that if they had swung the other way in three key states, Donald Trump would have been reelected. So as you look to November, I expect this to be a very, very close election. And what you've outlined is just important. On the Democratic side of the aisle, they have to turn out their voters. And on the Republican side, they're going to have to turn out their voters. Right, but the reality is, if you talk to a lot of the youth voters who are apathetic, they don't like Joe Biden's handling of the economy. They don't like his stance on uh, the Israeli military's handling of, of Gaza and some other things. They don't like Donald Trump and the Republican Party in general. Donald Trump for his divisiveness and the Republican Party for their, their handling of abortion rights. And they don't feel like they're heard by the Republican Party. All that is accurate and all that is a concern that they will stay home. And if they stay home, that hurts Joe Biden. More to be heard. South Carolina will be interesting, too. Does Nikki Haley stay after South Carolina, do you think? It depends on the margin. Um, she's not going to win South Carolina. Uh, she's behind by double digits, good double digits, 26% the last time I saw. If she can cut it substantially and be credible, she hopes to get to Super Tuesday, which is only 10 days later. I know she wants to get to Super Tuesday. There's 15 states there. There's over 800 delegates at play. Uh, but she needs to at least cut this margin down in South Carolina to be credible and to maintain that, that donor support that's so important to her campaign. And by the time we get to Florida, I know there's no Democratic primary, so that's not going to matter. But the GOP primary, forget about it, as they say. Most likely, um, it won't matter much when it gets to Florida. All right, Rick, thanks always for joining us. Appreciate your expertise. Great being with you, Bruce. All right, if you'd like to watch Vote 2024 pass to the polls on your own time on demand, you can do so on the News for Jack's YouTube channel on News for Jacks Plus and NewsforJacks.com. Appreciate you spending your time with us. You can always email me at bhamilton at wjxt.com. I appreciate what you have to say. Make sure you keep it on an even keel because we can always agree to disagree. Just keep it even. Have a great day. See why every day more people are choosing News for Jacks, Northeast Florida and South Georgia's number one source for local news.